said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks. And he gave it to them saying, drink ye all of it. For this is my blood in the New Testament or of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. And then saith Jesus unto them, All of you shall be offended because of me this night, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. But after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. And um, all Scripture is powerful. Every bit of it that, that we read is when we're preaching, teaching, all of it's powerful. It's powerful when you read it silently. Uh, but this segment that I've read to you here this morning is very powerful and unique in itself. And um, I want to preach to you this morning about a blessed and broken body. A blessed and a broken body. Let's ask the Lord to touch our spirits here this morning. Our gracious God, Oh, I'm ever so thankful. I'm thankful, Lord, for the rest, Lord, that I feel in this sanctuary. I thank you, Lord, for, God, the tone of the Spirit that's here. I thank the Lord that you have stimulated my mind and spirit, God, with your Word and, Lord, with these songs. I pray, Lord, today that now, God, that this word, Lord, that it would minister to your church. It's not my church. This is your church. I ask you, Lord, today, Lord, let, let these words, let these scriptures, let them find every hidden place Lord, in our souls and in our spirits. I pray, Lord, that today, please, Lord, let this seed find a good heart that it would grow in. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I... Um, <clears throat> I'm sure that you probably have, if you have been paying attention, whether you go to Walmart or whether you go to Target, which I guess must be the new Walmart. My grandchildren do not like Walmart. They'd rather go to Target. Um, and for whatever reason, they enjoy going to Target. It may be because Grandmom runs them through the toy aisle and they load up and uh, but if you go any of these department stores you have have seen some of these books that are written by uh, 
a man by the name of Bill O'Reilly and Martin uh, Dugard. And generally it'll be a, be starts off with that title, Killing, and uh, Killing Lincoln, Killing Reagan, uh, various others that he has written. And a few years ago, the one on Ronald Reagan came out. He starts the chapter with these very ominous words. The man with 24, 24 years to live steps on stage. And Bill O'Reilly opens up that book, that story about Ronald Reagan being in Cleveland, Ohio. And he is there at the Republican National Convention. And in uh, just a few short days away, Ronald Reagan will uh, send to the presidency after a very convincing win over Jimmy Carter. And that was whenever we voted in 1970, or y'all voted in 1979, I was in high school. And uh, some of you weren't even around uh, in 1979. Uh, but at that moment, Ronald Reagan had 24 years left in his life. The text that, that I read to you here uh, is just a portion of a larger text. And if you look back just a few verses to verse 17, the Bible says, Now the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And Reagan had, again, 24 years to live. And Jesus, at this stage in his life and earthly ministry, knew exactly the hour that he would face death, and it was very much on the way that it was going to face him. On Wednesday during the Passion Week, it seems that, that the Lord would stand that day in seclusion somewhere in that neighborhood there in Bethany where that uh, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, his, some of his closest friends, that uh, Jesus would visit. He would go into their home there, and it was always a, a time of fellowship, and and uh, you know the story. Martha got very upset with Mary uh, because she was wanting to hear what Jesus had to say, and Martha was fluttering around trying to get things ready and uh, to be cooked. Jesus talked to Mary and or to Martha and told her, he said, said Martha, Martha, why, why are you so agitated and and uh, encumbered about with things that don't matter. And then he says this, Mary has chosen the better part. That was where that, that Jesus enjoyed being. But now it is in that place that, that we come to in his life that there's a storm that literally is on the horizon that is about to go into the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. Even despite the fact that it's a place where that that it's quiet, it is uh, a place of, of reverie and, and uh, maybe silence, really. Uh, now he begins to develop, and then the text that I've read to you here tonight is where, this morning, is where that Jesus is in that upper room. He's there, and, and uh, there, there's an event that is about to take place that literally still even to this day shapes world history. And it shapes it for the better. 
Oh, it shapes what I believe ought to be gratitude in every one of our hearts. And so the Lord is, is there and he's <coughs> eating and drinking with men that for the last three and a half years he has spent with them very much shaping the direction of their life. Can, can you imagine that about how that, that these 12 men, this tight circle, this place where that, that they literally are, are with whatever label you want to put him in, whether it was a, a teacher, a preacher, a healer, a prophet, uh, Messiah, Son of God, Son of Man, God manifest in the flesh, which all of those labels fit because the Lord is with those 12 men. They, uh, I don't think you snore too much when you're in your early 30s. Maybe you do, but uh, they were all there. They had heard the Lord if he snored. He had heard them if they snored. They had had watched him as he had went through fastings and and uh, they had watched him as he was there in prayer and they had seen the highs and the lows of, of the criticism that he had endured there from the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and all of those various others, the Levites that were against what he was doing. And now it's at the part where that they're at this supper and they do not realize that in a very short period of time that they're going to be overcome with with doubt and fear and worry and fatigue and, and anger and deep loss and some of the deepest grief that they had ever experienced. They don't know that. And that's the grace of God in action. These people that want to go to fortune tellers and palm readers and and all that sort of stuff, I don't get it. It's a blessing that we don't know what's going to take place this afternoon. It's a blessing that you don't know what's going to take place on, on tomorrow. And so here these men are. Now the events of that that night, you can understand them whenever you start comparing the Gospels and you look at Matthew and you look uh, at, at especially the account in John, starting in John 13. The Bible tells us that he stooped down and he watched their feet. He identifies the betrayer as Judas in Matthew 26. And Judas leaves the Passover in verse or chapter 13 and verse 30 of John. It's the instant of the Lord's Supper. That's the text that I read to you here this morning. There's the messages that's in the upper room there, what I call the upper room principles, and I need to get back on that and uh, finish them up. But then John, especially 15 and, and 16, the upper room principles that the Lord uh, is leaving with his disciples there. And, and then the great prayer of the Lord, that high priestly prayer that you find out about in John chapter 17. We follow him and see the anguish of the Lord there in the garden of Gethsemane there in Matthew 26 verses 36 through 46 and then the betrayal and the arrest follows that verses 47 through 56 and all of the, the events of this the Lord sums them up or Luke rather does in Luke chapter 22 and verse 19 whenever he says this do in remembrance of me in remembrance of me think about 
that matter that you do that. His death was a sacrificial death just like that lamb that was slain at the first Passover there in Egypt. We spent some time with that in our Sunday school lessons here recently and the death of the Lord leads to that, that area that said there is hope of salvation because there has been somebody that has died for my sins and, and that the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ covers my sin. What a blessing. The blood of the Lord delivers all of us from the much deeper slavery than ever was even considered there in Egypt and in Scripture, the the Lord just uh, it, it's, it's there is no hope outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you imagine how that in John chapter one that John the Baptist, his cousin, is there and in verse twenty nine, behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. What in the world would it have been like hearing that at that moment that. The baptisms, the teachings, the various things that was going on. There was a crowd there that was listening to John the Baptist. And John the Baptist all of a sudden stands up and, and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I would say that here today and I'm not nearly as powerful as John the Baptist but I'm going to echo what he said that even right here in this sanctuary this morning behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. I, I, I appreciate that. And in Isaiah 53, verse 5, wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. There, there is so much grace and power that is in the middle of all that that sometimes we don't understand it. You know how I know that? Because I'm not going to put you in the category, but I'll put myself in the category. There's times that I come and go in this house of worship, in this house of prayer, in this house of praise, and I come and go and I sit and I'm disconnected. I'm thinking about yesterday. I'm thinking about tomorrow. I'm projected out a month from now. I'm thinking about six months from now and miss the fact that right here in this sanctuary, behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world, and then that he who knew no sin was made sin for me. That I have a feeling is where those disciples were at that last supper, and yet the value of that very single night that was there, that they're there in that upper room. Judas flees the room there after. Uh, that when the meal is starting to get kicked off, the Bible tells us that Satan has entered him in Luke 22. Also, that's echoed in John chapter 13. That, that again, but, but look at what the Bible says there. John 13 verse 27 through 30. The Bible tells us, and after the sop, Satan entered into him. And then said Jesus unto him, thou, that thou doest do quickly. 
Now no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this unto him. For some of them thought that because Judas had the bag, the money bag, that, that Jesus had said unto him, Go buy those things that we need of against the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. And he then, having received the sop, went out immediately, and it was night. I'm going to tell you, he sold the Lord for 30 pieces of silver. That, 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 that still goes on even now, is that there are people that cheaply sell. They sell out the Lord far, far cheaper. And you think, well, well there, there, there are people that, that have ways and means and et cetera and so forth in this world. I'm just going to tell you whether it's a trillion dollars or whether it's 30 pieces of silver in the matter of eternity, it does not matter because they sell out too cheap. And so it is that after Judas leaves, the Lord takes two elements from the Passover feast, the unleavened bread and the cup that he used. He was saying, I'm going to let this be a picture of my death. Now, all through the ages, the church, and there's been other parts, theologians and historians have called it that they simply have been called the sacraments. You may not, we may not call it that so much in Pentecostal churches, but, but in a lot of places we call and there's no danger in calling and saying that, that they are sacraments. But what is a sacrament? A sacrament is just something that is ordinary, that represents something that uh, is, is far, far greater. There, there's a value that is in the simplicity of that. I've got a pocket watch that I've had since probably the mid-80s or so, and it's my my dad's father, my papa, I managed to get his his uh, his pocket watch. It's a cheap pocket watch. It's a it's got bulls. Got is the name of the brand. It's called Bullseye. It's still got uh, a piece of string that's attached and a little piece of wood that he whittled out. And uh, that that watch probably isn't worth a dollar, if even that much. But but it's valuable to me because it's representative of something that attaches back to my past, and that there is something meaningful to that. That's what the Lord was pointing at. History tells us about a man by the name of, of Admiral Nelson. He was buried in St. Paul's Cathedral. There was a party of, of sailors that took his casket to the grave. And on top of that casket, there was the Union Jack. That's the British flag. And, and uh, before they, they put him in that crypt there, they, they took that flag among those sailors and they ripped it up into little pieces and they passed it out and they handed it to themselves because each of those men kept it the rest of their lives because they were with one of the greatest admirals in ancient naval history. It was a sacrament to them. And, and so the Lord is at that part. If you still have your Bibles open, look there in Matthew 26 and verse 26. It says, and as they were eating, Jesus took bread and he blessed it and he broke it. He gave it to the disciples and he said, take, eat, this is my body. Now there are some that believe, and, and I'll veer off for a moment just to 
maybe just quickly, you could spend an hour or more on this, but there are people that literally believe that that whenever you take communion, that it literally is the blood and the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. It has prevailed uh, through history, particularly in the manner of the Roman Catholic Church, and it's been abused, and it has been turned into paganism and, and heathenism, and it's, it's just really, really just, for lack of a better word, I know it's not politically correct, but it's false doctrine. And yet the Lord here is using it as a, a symbol. Other observations where that the Lord would speak of himself. He'd say, I'm the door, but none of us, we, we don't think, well, that door right there is the Lord. He would speak. He would say, I, I'm the vine. You're the branches, but we don't go around looking at vines and saying, oh, there's the Lord Jesus Christ. The same pattern and principle applies whenever you begin to take, and we're not going to take communion, although that would be pretty I just come here and surprise y'all and said, hey, we're going to take communion today. Some of you be up under your chair repenting and begging and pleading with the Lord. Say, oh, dear God, I can't take communion now. Well, I just want to just say this to you, okay? There will be no warning for the rapture either. There won't be. There won't be a, there won't be a hint of warning of the rapture. And so let's, let's, let's move on. That's an that's a awesome point right there. I'm going to have to go watch the video on that, Brother Wells, and think about how some of the awesome, most awesome preaching I've ever seen. If you were in here in the adult Sunday school class, you heard what Brother Wells said about that. I'm different. I watch mine. I think, oh, dear Lord, I can't believe that God called me to be a preacher. Uh, but anyway, um, let's move on. But here it is that, that even in John 6, you remember what the Lord said after he had broken up the fish and the bread and fed the multitudes, and then he turned around and looked at them, and he said, uh, hey, by the way, he said, if you don't drink my flesh or eat my flesh and drink my blood, you're going to not have any part <coughs> with me at all. And what does, the, what does John write in his observation? He said, from that time on, there was a host of people that walked away and left him, and Jesus is standing there with his disciples and turns around and looks at Peter. And he said, Peter, he said, or his disciples, you, 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 you guys, you, you want to leave too? And what did Peter say? Peter said, Lord, where else are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. I'm preaching to you this morning about the words of eternal life. And we've got to value them. They must be a crucial part of your life. And so that little band of brothers there, they received the bread and, and the wine composed of men that didn't have much of the means of this world. Look there in verse 27. The Bible says, and he, he took the cup and he gave thanks and he gave it to them saying, drink ye all of it for this is my blood of the New Testament which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. The next thing that we see that Matthew is recording is that the Lord, that he's, break, he's broke the bread, he takes the cup, and it's symbolic of a body that is about to be broken for every one of us. 
I mentioned a few weeks ago in our Wednesday night Bible study, and I won't go back through that again, but the cup of redemption, that fourth cup, that's what the Lord was speaking of there whenever he said, I'm not going to drink this cup with you until we get into where that the kingdom of God has been fully and completely implemented, right? Look around you right now in this sanctuary, the people that have been born again. Listen to me. We're just a small part of the kingdom of God. There's coming a day. Whenever the kingdom of God will be complete in heaven, that means that those that have died in the past, those that are living in the present, and those that will be saved in the future, they will be brought together. And the Lord in that day will drink from the cup of redemption and he will celebrate the salvation that took place in this world. I survey the wondrous cross. Appreciate the songs we sung here this morning. Power in the blood and oh, hide me in the blood. Alas, and did my Savior bleed and did my sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm? As I, people say, oh, that, that, we need to change that verse. That, that's not good for your self-esteem. I'm going to tell you something. One of the most biggest obstacles for people to have and experience salvation is a healthy self-esteem. Because if you've got a big self-esteem, it's hard for you to humble yourself before the Lord and say, Lord, save me. I'm a sinner. And if you're help, you're you you go. Oh yeah, we gotta we gotta give him a sense of self esteem. It's like oh no, I need to walk in here with my head down and say, Lord, I am I'm not fit to be in your presence. <laughs> oh Jesus, if you don't transform and change my life, I have no hope outside of you. That's the power of salvation. And so whenever these disciples drank from that cup, uh, there there suddenly is a common bond with those men that's going to unite and bind them to what the Lord was doing there in his kingdom. What, what, What is that about? The mission, the purpose, the suffering. The fellowship, the prayer, that, that's the part of his kingdom there. And, and he's moving into that, but you don't get any of those benefits if there is no broken body. None of that. None of that. If the Lord does not go to Calvary and he does not have nails that pierce his hands and if there are no nails that pierce his feet, And if there is no sword that's run through his side and there is no crown of thorns that is settled down on his head, if there is no blood, if there is no brokenness, there is no redemption, there is no salvation, I want to tell you, church, there ought to be a gratefulness that you have in your heart to say, thank God for the blood. Thank the Lord that he pulled me from where he got me from. morning I, I listened to Brother Wells he read that story in the lesson and then he told a part of his his uh, his personal testimony there, there's others that, that I know where you come from you told me 
you've told me stories about your past and where the Lord got you from. There's times I, I think, man, I wish I had me a story. Yeah, I do. I think, man, I wish I'd had me a story. My story's involved in, boy, you better sit down on that pew. You better not chew gum in the church. Listen to Brother Patterson preach about hell. Listen about the rapture, going to youth camps, going, listening to southern gospel music when I was growing up and, and, uh, and, and all that. Never been drunk. My, my parents pretty rigorous on me when I was in high school. They, they didn't let me run around with the wrong crowd and, and they waiting on me. Will you be home at 10 o'clock? Y'all get this, okay? Get, get this. We leave on Sunday nights. And uh, and down at the Southside McDonald's, that was about the only thing that was here. And uh, my dad, he give me he give me five dollars. He say, "Be home in forty five minutes." Four forty five, forty five minutes. I didn't say that to him, but inside, like, forty five minutes. Well, it, it takes ten five minutes to get down there, and it take ten minutes to get home. And and uh, you you be home in forty five minutes. We can't even hardly choke a hamburger down in forty five minutes. I'm going to tell you what, there are boundaries that, that were put up in my life that created safety. It created things. I'm going to tell you there are things that are coming out of my heart and my spirit now that I thank God for it. I'm just going to tell all of you that never drifted away that sometimes you think like I think. that You think, man, I wish I had a story. Oh, no, you don't. You don't wish you had a story because there's times you can walk in this house and the presence of the Lord drop in and descend on you and you can't help but to get your hands up and say, thank God for the blood. Thank God for that body that was blessed and broken. In the Old Testament, when blood is mentioned in that manner, it was shed for not so much the remission of sins, but it was pushed back. But yet all of it was associated with violence. You, you realize the violence that the Lord endured for our salvation? You realize the beating that he took that they spit on him? Realize that? Oh, I can't, I can't bow my knee to the Lord and he died for you. I, I, y'all church folks, y'all, you're just overboard. You're, oh no. In fact, I don't think I'm overboard enough. I don't think that this thing grips me enough of what the Lord has done for me that my very short life in comparison to eternity that when salvation comes to our heart and we burst on the scene in heaven, What does that look like? Well, the blood of Jesus is effective for our salvation. Colossians chapter 1, verse 20. And having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he hath reconciled. Colossians chapter 2, verse 14. You ought to, these are verses you ought to underline in your Bible. 
Colossians 2.14, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us. We took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross and having spoiled principalities and powers. He made a show of them openly, triumphing over them. And so there is that matter. That what happened with the cross? Well, there was cleansing with that broken body, and now there's consecration with that broken body because the Lord has the ability to save us. last thing I would point out is in verse 30. The Bible says, And when they had sung in him, they went out into the Mount of Olives. What did they sing? And I have to admit that some of this came to my mind last Sunday night when I was listening to my brother preach. And he was preaching out of Psalm 118. Starting in 113 through 118, it's what is commonly referred to as the is the Hallel. They would sing that. The Jews would sing that. Those are some of the most incredible psalms. 13, 113, 114, 115, 116, 117, 118. It's, it's literally uh, a, an anthem to a dying lamb. And while they were on their way up the Mount of Olives, while they were on their way, or while they were drinking, while they were taking part in communion, they sang that. And uh, there's something about it that whenever you start thinking about the power of that body that was broken, that bled out. Please hear me, church. That ought to want to draw you in to worship. That ought to want to want to, want to draw you in to thanksgiving. Where you start saying, Lord, all the things I own, I'm I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful, Lord, for where you set me. I'm thankful, Lord, for where you've got me. But Lord, the cross, the crucifixion, the death that you paid to cover my sins. And Lord, when I struggle with besetting sins, you think, oh, what are you talking Hebrews 12, I think I may preach on that tonight. This, let, let us run our race with patience. Why? Because that besetting sin, those weights that gets to our lives. And what's the remedy? Look to the author and the finisher of your faith, which was in the cross. I'd like for us to stand here this morning. Oh, our Lord Jesus Christ, I am thankful for the cross. I'm thankful, Lord, that that you covered, Lord, our sin.
Lord, and there's only one sin that your word stipulates that cannot be forgiven and that is the blasphemy against the Spirit. But Lord, it's so unlikely that there's anybody that's even here in this sanctuary this morning that have even gotten near to that sin. But Lord, there are a host of other sins. And I pray, Lord, this morning, help us remember that broken and blessed body. I pray, Lord, that your cross gets so invested in my life, Lord, in the lives of all of those that are here this morning. God, that it alters direction. Lord, not just eternally. Lord, that it alters direction. Jesus, as we live our lives out. I pray, Lord, that blessing on this congregation this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name. Open. This is my blood. Yeah, I think that every one of us, we, we ought to just step out from where we're at. You, you ought to just lift your hands. And you ought to just thank the Lord I was for what He's done, that you for the provision He provided. Hope.